Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast, a vibration in the time-space continuum, communicating the wisdom, reflection, and awareness direct from the mouths of authentic truth-seekers and spiritual warriors. These conversations are empowered dispatches, co-created to uncover how we as individuals can move into healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way. Sit back, quiet the mind, and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. Will Burnett is the founder of Inflow, a company that trains coaches on how to use this powerful confluence of breathwork and music therapy to heal people. He is a breathwork facilitator, a coach, a teacher, and he has an amazing mission of raising awareness for how to use breath as a powerful integrative tool for helping veterans heal and reintegrate into society. He is an inspiration to me and is someone that I am honored to call my brother. G'day and welcome to the podcast, Will. <laughs> G'day. How are you, brother? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. I love that prior research. Well <laughs> didn't didn't need much much research being already in the the inflow level one program. Yeah. And it was interesting to dig into all right what what is my conception of you in in the context of having learned from you for the past 12 weeks this is the the last week of our program so it is all right someone you're in the park with your kids watching them hanging out sitting it's a beautiful day and someone walks up to you and says Hey, brother, I just got out of a Bufo ceremony, and all I wanted to tell you was that I love the heart tattooed below your eye. Also, who are you, and why are you here on this planet? What do you tell them? Oh, first and foremost, I, I always receive, you know, if there's, if there's a compliment or love that's extended, I, I always receive that first and foremost, and acknowledge that first, right? So it'd be a, it'd be a thank you very much. I receive that fully. And then the second half of that would be, who am I? I am, I am an energy that is providing a space and opportunity for other energies to come and align and come back to their original vibration. And my purpose is driven By wanting to see a world, a civilization that is at peace, full of love, full of compassion, people wanting to help other people every single day, every single moment. And my purpose is driven by seeing that vision, by feeling that vision. And once you feel that, once you feel that, that moment when we live in a world of love and compassion and helping and rolling up the sleeves to lend a hand like you can't unfeel that 
and I feel driven every day I wake up and I'm setting goals I'm setting um, daily habits. It's, it's moving towards that. What was that initial spark that, that first um, knowing that you were on this path to serve others. And I imagine that it came with a fracturing from a previous awareness from a previous ego conception of yourself oh yeah yes transcension comes from that moment of letting go of what we thought we were to be and stepping into what we now are going to be and a lot of people get stuck in that transition a lot of people get stuck right there in that transition like we both know many of people that have gone to the jungle and done countless ceremonies of ayahuasca and keep going back. They're stuck in that bridge of transcending. I need to let go of this in order to step through it in the new. For me, that moment that was fractured was the knowing that I was different. Like I, I come out of a, I remember it in detail, man. Like I was, I was working with the cannabis plant and I was deep in meditation, like one of the deeper meditations that I've ever done. And I remember coming out of it and feeling completely separated from who I was prior to the ceremony. And it was a feeling of, yes, I feel different. I have this, these, this chemically, there's so many things going on inside, right? Spiritually, it goes deep. Like we're hitting other dimensions. We're hitting other levels of vibration and frequency that we weren't operating at previous. And so there's a lot going on in the feel section, feeling different. And then the thought that come into my mind was that moment that I described to you, seeing that world, feeling that world, because it was in the same meditation where I felt that world where our civilization was at peace you come out of something like that and you say, okay, well, who's going to make that change? Where does that change begin? And no sooner could I have picked up the phone and dialed in, in divine sources on the other end going, hey, man, you, you can do it right now, right now. And then I started playing out the scenarios. Okay, what would that look at? Well, I was in my office at the time. The door was closed closed my wife knows that you know if if the doors close i'm most likely deep in a meditation or a plant medicine ceremony and so she gives me that space but i thought you know what i could open the door and go straight into the living room and start practicing with my wife my kids and then what well i have already act, reacted and interacted with two other humans on this earth who can go do the same thing to other people in their sphere and then i can continue doing that and that's a thought that brings a smile that you can't get rid of, right? Like that, that type of smile is a, a one you embody. It's a type of smile where, where you're like, I can't unfeel this, you know? And I would be doing myself a disservice. I'd be doing everybody else a disservice. Should I know this level of intelligence and not practice it? Foolish. Mm. It's selfish, right? Yeah. Dreaming into the world, the more beautiful version of the world that our hearts know is possible. Mm -hmm. So you had this cannabis ceremony where you felt into this 
more peaceful, more beautiful potential that we're all able to create in the world. Where does that sit in the context of your breathwork journey? So I was, I'd utilize breath as the vehicle to get into that space. So I had, um, I had created an intention. I had sat with the, the plant to which I had uh, received from my mother. She, she grew, grew the plant, grew past tense. And I was setting an intention with that plant, acknowledging all the work and love that had been into it. Go through the process of sitting with the plant and then I utilize breath work to dial in and get more awareness in detail going into the meditation. Mm -hmm. And so prior to the meditation, I'm like, I'm tuning into a higher frequency simply by adjusting my breath, changing my state and allowing my conscious mind to be open to all three realms, right? Subconscious, unconscious, and conscious mind. And like that creates a non-ordinary state. It's like a, 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 for, for people that are listening and don't quite understand, take your everyday operating system, right? What we know of the world, this to be in that material sense of what we can grab, what we can feel, what we can touch, touch, taste, smell, all of that. It's beyond that, right? It's, that's, that's the place we get to in these non-ordinary states. And so I utilize breath work to really, really hone in on that level of intelligence that my, my soul has and my consciousness has. And I use it to regulate my nervous system, right? It's to say that I'm turning the dial up on my biology or down being able to be hyper-aware, hyper-vigilant, hyper-stimulated, hyper-focused to low, slow, subtle, smooth, resting, right? And so we can utilize the breath to tap into that system and be able to regulate it. And when you know, if you know the breath as a segmented book encyclopedia, right? The breath has so many chapters to it. We have the characteristics of what shapes we can make with our biology. We have the characteristics to what shapes we can breathe into by simply connecting or disconnecting the breath. We know that we can put in time domains and time being a human construct, we may as well use it to our advantage if we have the intelligence there present for it. And so changing and manipulating the times to create different system, you know, uh, create different states in the system. See, if we can, we can hold the breath out longer, we can create more of a down-regulatory state and increase our tolerance to CO2, therefore increasing our tolerance to stress and anxiety. And so when you know the breath as an encyclopedia, it's fun. Like you can explore so many different parts of consciousness and so many different parts of this experience by simply following what your body is doing and then saying, okay, I'll take it from here. And then you start to to trigger responses with different types of breath protocols. Mm, yes. Elegantly walking this line between science and the spirituality of breath is something yes. that you have really come to embody for me. Um, mm -hmm. how, how has navigating that been for you to have that foundation of science and then also step into the realm of using breath to connect with your soul? What what was the journey of defining that for you? 
Oh, it's still going, man. Like the journey is, it's one where I've got to have a good defense and a good offense because you, it's very hard to step into one and study one and try and include the other. It's very, very hard to do that, mm-hmm. right? I can, I can dive into the literature of what, um, let's say I'm, we're going into Andrew Huberman's work, right? We start to talk about Andrew Huberman's work, looking at how he regulates and na- navigates the nervous system and how he talks about it. Like he's a pretty spiritual dude too, and so he's open, but his literature, it's straight science. Like it's hard and fast science and it's supported clinically. To bring in some type of spiritual practice in the middle of that really disrupts things because it challenges the narrative to which you're studying. Mm -hmm. And I say narrative because it is a narrative. Science is someone's answer is a little more accurate and up to date than somebody else who was previous to that answer, right? And that's going to keep going, keep going, keep going. I I always refer to this movie on podcast, Interstellar. Like, you remember when Cooper's going into the the black hole like he's going into it and have you seen the movie i have it's been a while and i remember it in broad strokes not the specifics of what you're referencing and so he well he's going into the black hole and he's the only one in the spaceship and as he goes in he's talking into the into the spaceship and what he's doing is hoping that the information is being relayed back to society Mm -hmm. because as he's saying it that would be the most current and up-to-date science that we have every second, every meter that he continues into that black hole. And, and so science is that. Science is an answer that is a little more current and a little more accurate than the previous answer that came before that. Now, back to that, not to digress too much, bringing spiritual practices where everything is possible, where everything is a potential, when manifesting something really means manifesting something that challenges science. And when you're learning science, you need to be in the science mind. And that's why I say you need a good defense and a good offense because the good offense is okay. This month, let's say I, like I scheduled um, March, my science month, right? I go, I go one-on-one off. I do a month worth of uh, science study and then I'll do a month versus versus spiritual practice or, excuse me, being trained in some other modality. And so I'm in the month of science. I'm dedicated to knowing all of the science and I need to embody a little bit of the bias so that I can know how the information is being disseminated or how it's coming through. And so I... Negation acknowledged and fully accepted. I almost leave my spiritual cloak at the door knowing that I'm going in without it. Mm. But the good defense comes when you can really get sucked into that biased vortex and be like, oh, yeah, science is, science is the only way, right? There's no other way that science is the only way. So you need to have a good defense in that as well. Uh, and so, like, my journey is still going because when I go into these moments, especially like spiritual practices, and to be quite honest, from my experience in, in being a healthy balance in both, my bias is towards the spiritual side because more often than not, people who practice spiritual practices or ancient teachings or intelligence that we've had in our society for a long period of time are usually more open to having science come in. And, and it doesn't, 
it does happen, but it's not often it happens the other way around. You know, science people are pretty hard and fast. It's like, no, this is science and you can't argue with science. What what was your process stepping into breathwork? I I imagine it came in as it came in for me in learning about um, it as a surface level practice, how to, you know, use it to potentiate meditation and to just get into this deeper state of awareness of body, the body-mind connection. Um, mm-hmm. what, what was your journey like learning about breathwork initially in, you know, stepping into that space of knowledge? Well, it's interesting. I had uh, the first experience I ever had was a more spiritual tone. I, I was in an ayahuasca retreat um, and I was after the first night. It was after my very first ever ayahuasca ceremony and the next day i was sitting in this little area and i was sitting with a friend and they asked me if i wanted to do a guided breathwork session i said yeah of course it was like a 10 15 minute session i think and i remember coming out of the breathwork and it being just as strong as the night before that i'd sat with grandmother aya and it's also possible that because that spirit was in me already because of the the space that i was in and because i'd sat with the the cup last night like it, it could have it potentially increased the potency of the breath work as well but that being said i did the breath work come out completely like in awe i never even asked questions i i knew that when i come out of that i was going to do this thing i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this like i could ask this person questions about it right now and i can just enjoy what, what's going on right now and, and think about the rest later. And so I chose not to ask questions. But then when I returned home that following week, I stressed the hell out of my wife because I told her that I was going to close the gym that I just opened and like spent 12 months building and doing like 80 plus hour weeks. I just told her I was going to close the gym or at least I was going to start the, the process of closing that or closing that project, and then go into this thing. Lo and behold, I had a I had an interruption in my business anyway. It's like divine intervention, and it was a Band-Aid effect that got ripped out, and I went straight into study and breath. The challenge became for me, because I was coming from science, a science-biased environment. I came from the strength and conditioning world, right? So... Picking up breath as the second modality after being a a 10-year strength and conditioning coach, like it's a pretty odd move. And it's also now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, oh, no, that's not odd at all. That should definitely have already been happening. Um, Yeah, I transitioned from that science-based environment straight to the the spiritual environment and then being like, okay, well, well, how do I do this breath thing? Like who am I going to learn from? First, the first course I ever did was an XPT course, I think, one of the original breath courses. And, yeah, I remember, you know, finishing the course and going, okay, I know a little bit more about the nervous system. I know a little bit more about different types of breath. Now what? And so I I read the book uh, Just Breathe by Dan Brule. And so I went and did training with him like i studied with him and he was more spiritual and then i found myself in that balance and then i found my mentor now casper and 
one of the first ever classes I did in his, his first course in his level one was like, I, I fully promote both sides of the spectrum and I'm not a method versus method guy. And I was like, I found my guru. <laughs> you know? And so I landed with that. I, I landed in the practice of both work, both are healthy for each other. And there's not one pill that fixes it all. What, what I'm getting in that is, again, you're coming back to the experience that you had in the cannabis ceremony. It's that once you know, you can't unknow. Negation acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Once you have mm-hmm. that awareness that this is a part of your path, you are, um, it becomes your responsibility to integrate it and to step forward in that, um, you know, wrapping this additional knowledge, wrapping the spirituality into the science component of it and allowing that to be a, um, not this or this, but how do I um, take in each of these things that I've learned in a way that is fully resonant with my identity. And that's, that's a beautiful aspect of, you know, being a lifelong learner that I, I see in you and that I feel in myself. Um, you've referred to carbon dioxide as the key to unlocking trauma that is stored in our bodies. Um, can you explore that more deeply in reflection um, in relation to how we breathe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, firstly, thank you. Fully received on the compliment there. appreciate that. Um, and people that are wondering, okay, like, how do you know if it's, if it's your, how do you know if that's what you have to do? Like, you know, th- we integrate these things and now becomes our responsibility to integrate them. And people say to me, how do you know? How I know is that if I don't do it, the universe says, hey, buddy, I'm going to fuck up your day. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to put some obstacles in your way and challenge the hell out of you. Because when you're doing the thing that you're on this planet to do in this life, on this timeline, and you're doing that thing, the path is smooth. There's obstacles, but the path is smooth. Excuse me. Because the universe, divine source, loves balance. That's why we have polarity. And so in order for for me to be doing the thing that I'm on this planet to do in this timeline, there's going to be something occurring on the other end that is opposing that. And so that's how I know because shit starts going wrong. I start getting challenged. And to go into that, to the carbon dioxide, the reason um, I talk so passionately about carbon dioxide being the key is because what I've experienced in both my studies, what I've experienced in both working with people one-to-one and in a group environment, is that carbon dioxide is directly associated and in a relationship with both both the stress hormones and the traumatic events that are occurring external from our internal world. And we can dive into that a little bit more, but the, the relationship between our internal and external is inextricably connected and it's also separate of itself because we have the two influencing each other all moments, all times. Now, the reason I I would state that carbon dioxide is in a direct relationship with the stress hormones and our external world, 
is because what we witness in the body as a behavior or a reflex is that when we have high levels of CO2 building up in the system, our external biology starts to behave in a specific way and we start to see different breathing patterns or breathing behaviors. These are the reflexes. We also know that in the brain, it says, hey, we need to breathe, right? And uh, a buddy of mine, Jacko, always puts up videos saying, if CO2 is not the thing that's telling us we need to breathe, then why, when we let go of our breath, do we go, Mm -hmm. we're trying to offload CO2. And so retraining the brain, and this would be some of Andrew Huberman's work, retraining the brain to identify CO2 as a stress indicator and not a like a system override to say, hey, we need to breathe. If we can retrain that and teach the brain that it's, it's, not, it's just only a stress indicator, then we can cope a lot longer and be a lot more resilient to stress holistically. Talking about you know, stress hormones, our biological reflexes and behaviors. And so <clears throat> if, the, if the relationship between CO2 to our external world is occurring from the stresses that are signaling the body, that being the trauma or the events that have caused trauma, then we now know that there's a direct emotion that's correlated with said event and biological pattern. Now, if that emotion is being developed internally and is attached to the external scenario, then we need to work on the, the emotion internally or at least change the perception of how we perceive the event that caused the trauma. Now, this is where it gets into the science part. To get CO2 to shift, we need to, we need to bring in some more O2, all right, oxygen, because CO2 will not jump off the tissue unless there is an O2 molecule present for it to take its place. It doesn't happen the other way around. Now, in that, I want people to imagine I've experienced the scenario to which emotions were created in my body. Those emotions have stimulated a biological reflex. And from that, I started to breathe faster, breathe in and out of my mouth. This happens a lot longer. That emotion now becomes the gatekeeper for that event that occurred that becomes the trauma. Let's say it was shock or grief or sadness or anger. Let's say it was one of those emotions. That becomes the gatekeeper for that specific, specific event. And we, we, we keep them isolated because they only amalgamate when the relationship to that emotion changes. It doesn't ha- it doesn't, they don't amalgamate before that occurs. Right? Our relationship with the emotion, how we cope or have a relationship with sadness, over time, if that changes, then all of those events that occurred under that emotion start to amalgamate. And now you just have a big ball of heaviness that you've got to deal with rather than little spot fires that you can put out. And so the CO2 turns into the emotion. The emotion is the gatekeeper for the event. Now we've got to work on exactly that. We know to get rid of CO2, we need to increase oxygen. And for oxygen to increase, we need to change the way that we breathe. And we need to change the speed that we breathe. And then that's where we trigger the response to go and we get into those non-ordinary states and people often experience past memories or archive things from the deep that we didn't know was there and now we know are there and now we need to process them. Like people have those moments from simply speeding up the breath, changing the shape of the breath and giving the body more oxygen so that the CO2 can leave the body. Yeah. 
what something that you're alluding to is the the um, concept that Gabor Mate has given us in that our trauma is not the experience that happened to us, but rather our um, our response to that experience, our conception, the story that we have around that experience. Um, how how does breath support us in moving through these constrictive spells that you know have been imprinted on us growing up um, through what we've been told, through what we have experienced and have learned to embody? Mm-hmm. So what, a month last year, I believe it was December, I, I called it Gabo Mate month and I simply only read his stuff or good went month. through his stuff. <laughs> it's a very good month. And I've dabbled, I've been reading his stuff for a very long time, but it was last year that I was like, I want to know a little bit more. Right, I want to go a little bit deeper. It's like watching another movie back and then picking up a new message that you didn't pick up the first time. I like to find that. Yeah, It's about the only surprise I like, actually. Uh, every other surprise I don't like. <laughs> uh, so the key there is that... Hmm. Einstein says you can't solve a problem with the same mind or thought model that created it, right? So that is to say that the problem that first existed, we need to have an evolved mind or at least something that had experienced the event to know a little extra about what occurred. We have a new mind, we have an evolved mind. And so when we experience events, if over time we continue to experience them, the the event becomes diluted because we develop a conditioning to the event, right? We develop resilience, we develop tolerance, we find new ways to overcome the discomfort. You know, our body doesn't want to die. The whole body does not want to die. It wants to live as long as it can. It'll create compensatory behaviors. It'll fuck up your body even more on one side just to favor another. That's what it'll do. That's how sacrificial it is. And so... When we experience an event, we become more conditioned to the event and 10 years down the track, we see it completely different, right? And so the trauma is in that gap. It's from the event first experienced, excuse me, to how we have either chosen to process or not process the event. If we have chosen not to process the event, then the emotion will get compartmentalized. The tolerance will build meaning that that event loses its potency. And by 10 years down the track, we have a different relationship to the emotion, to the event, but the trauma still lives because it happened and it didn't, it can't not have happened because it did, right? And so it still lives inside of us. And this is where Gabo Mate would, would assert the trauma now becomes that 10 year mark. That is the trauma because everything that is present is present as a result of the event and you choosing to either process or not process it. And so with the new mind in that 10 years, you've both, you've become conditioned to the event and you now also have the awareness that you can process it knowing that you're conditioned to the event. If anything, it all on paper, it almost sounds better to deal with it three years down the road because you become more resilient 
to the fact that it already happened rather than working where it still stings a little bit. There's a bit of salt in the wound, you know. On paper, it sounds nice. Uh, however, the longer trauma exists in the body, the longer disease gets an opportunity to turn in tra- transition into disease because everything that happens in the quantum field happens for us in a 3D experience as well, right? That's how our biology interacts with its environments. That's how it navigates this life. And so, yeah, I lost my train of thought on that. It'll come back in a minute. (laughs) All good. No, I I really love what you're saying as it speaks to a lot of Joe Dispenza's work in, you know, changing our, um, our reality through working at the the subatomic level through changing Mm -hmm. the the dense contractive energy into more open expansive energy and that is a lot experientially of what i have found value in even before i learned about the science of it in just experiencing you know all right what happens when i take 30 deep breaths in and out of the mouth and then hold at the bottom and then start to feel this air hunger, but then push past that. It's really, I, I take that deep breath in and hold it and I feel so much more expansive. I feel so much lighter and more open. And that is, that's the energy of creation. That's the energy mm-hmm. of, um, you know, what, what am I able to move into and become rather than staying in the past density of the things that have happened to me and the stories that I have around them exactly right and you are in that motion of creating as you do that you are creating new neural pathways for your body brain spirit to better understand oh i can go a few extra seconds well if i can go a few extra seconds maybe i can go a few more after that you know and so you are in that moment of creating as you do that and in creating you are also increasing the possibility for what is possible for you, both right there in that moment and also what has occurred previous to that moment as well. You change the potentiality of what that thing becomes by simply being creative in that zone. Mm. Intentional breath, um, something that you seem to be speaking to, is that when we do this breathing in an intentional way, with different shapes and patterns, it has this deep power to shift our life in compounding ways. Um, Talk to me about how it works in its environmental signaling of our epigenetics. And first, what are epigenetics? I throw around a lot of these quasi-metaphysical scientific words without (laughs) perhaps having a full understanding of their meaning. (laughs) You know what? What I found with epigenetics is... The more complex you try to make it, it's the more you lose sight of what it is, right? Like if we, if we continue to break it down, break it down, break it down, then we're only existing in that moment of thought where what's really happening is that thing is pissing me off and I need to change how I respond to that thing, right? And so the more surface level we can keep epigenetics, the more we can be active in the responsibility of ourselves and the more aware we can be in the responsibility of ourselves. So epigenetics, um, for everyone listening, 
in this conversation specifically around our nervous system and breathwork, the way we talk about epigenetics is the way that our environments are signaling us both externally and internally. An external um, example would be if you lay out in the sun naked, that sun is either going to turn you red and or brown. Okay, that's an external environmental signal. Uh, internally, if uh, someone is confronting me and saying things to me, the way I am processing what they are saying based upon the stories to which I believe it's true or not true is an internal response to environmental signaling. And it opens, like, you could use anything as an example, and it is signaling you to act or behave in a specific way. Now, the process we talk about in inflow is input, system processing, output. And in the uh, system processing, we talk about the black box theory. The black box theory is that everybody has a different system processing the input that is coming in based upon where we have been in our lives, what we have experienced, our relationships, all of it, our gene pool. Input is the information we are receiving from our environments. The color green and what it means to us, spelling, numbers, sounds, smells, tastes, that is input. The, the system processes it as whatever our relationship is to it. And then the output is how we respond, right? And so epigenetics in this conversation is exactly that, our environment signaling us to behave in a specific way. And in the middle of that is how we process that. Now, the way that we are engaging that with breath work is two-prong. The first one is identifying our biological reflexes as they happen, which gives us more awareness in detail about what it is that's causing the reflex. Because if, I, if, I can, if it happens and I leave it, it becomes difficult to know exactly what was triggering me or signaling me in that moment three hours away from when it happened. Much rather than if I experience something, I feel my breath up in my chest or I notice that I'm breathing out my mouth. And, and mind you, noticing breathing out the mouth takes a long time to become aware of. It does not happen overnight. So everybody that comes into breath work and goes, it's, it's easy for you to just notice that you're breathing out your mouth. It's not. It really isn't. I am at a point now where I do, yes, to the point where even when if I don't take my mouth when I sleep and I, I notice when I'm breathing in and out of my mouth while I'm sleeping, my body's picking up on that because I've set things in place to say, hey, let me know when I'm breathing out my mouth, All right? It's not easy. So anybody who questions that, it's not. It takes time. But if I become aware that that's occurring or I can know, oh, shit, I've just had a spike in adrenaline or, oh, shit, I've, I've felt the temperature get hotter or, oh, I'm sweating. Why am I sweating? Well, if you stop and go, why am I sweating? Look around you. Oh, that thing. That, I, I don't like that. Oh, that's making me feel unsafe. Oh, I need to remove myself from the situation. Okay. And therein lies the process of healing. I need to remove myself from the situation. Okay. It still happened. So what now? Do you take yourself away and go, okay, this thing triggered me. Why did it do that? It did it because of that. Okay. I can change my relationship. Or do we stay in the moment and go, holy shit, that thing's triggering me. That thing is making me feel unsafe. Okay. I notice that my breath is changing speed. I'm breathing up into my chest. 
This is flight or fight moment, everybody listening. <laughs> okay. I can control this. I can breathe in and out of my nose. Okay, I still feel unsafe, but the adrenaline's going. If I close my eyes and reduce the stimulus. Okay, I know that thing's still there, but I feel less upregulated. All of a sudden, what you have done has increased your ability to make a better decision about what is occurring, much rather than if you take yourself away, still upregulated, and go, I need to make a decision. You're going to be very biased about how you make a decision. And I guarantee that it's going to be something that you'll potentially question later. Right? And so breath work is so paramount. In, in, well, learning breathwork is exactly for these moments. Are they great for blasting off and learning more about our existence? Yes, I do it three, four times a week for sure. But the potency is in knowing that we now get to navigate this 3D world with through fear or without fear. Right? So that's the first prong of the breathwork. The second prong is exactly that. It's it's being able to change your breath or change the state of your breath to induce a different state. And your intention then becomes, why am I blasting off? Okay, well, I'm stuck around this story at the moment. Okay, I'm having money stories at the moment. I want to know what I can do. This is our responsibility. I want to know what I can do in order to be more effective in my own life in playing that role in that money story. Okay, I'm going to utilize breath. I'm going to hyperventilate for 45 minutes to an hour and then we'll I'll hold my breath for a little bit and we'll see what happens right and and more often than not you get to the space of why the money story exists or whatever the story is and so that's the other intention is creating an intention to change the state of your breath <clears throat> to induce a different state of the of the nervous system yeah yeah what's coming up for me is that quote from victor frankel the holocaust survivor that there's a space between free between um stimulus and response and in that space is our growth and our mm -hmm. freedom and it seems what you're describing in closing your eyes in taking that deep inhale through the nose into the belly really feeling into our trigger we're expanding that space between stimulus and response so that we can respond from a compassionate aware way rather than just clapping back reacting and being in this space of contraction in how we're moving into relation with others with the world that exact quote is what wrote the module environmental signaling <laughs> so when i was putting it together i had uh I was up to like my third time reading Man's Search for Meaning and that quote along with um, uh, his, his short statement on my beloved, he talks about his beloved and, and how his freedom was in his head, not in the external world, but that quote specifically in the space between stimulus and response is our growth and our freedom to choose one's ability to respond to the situation. That is what developed my thought model for environmental signaling because I was experiencing it. I simply didn't know how to put words to it yet. And when I read that, that piece, that was what triggered me. That was what signaled me, pun intended, to go, we, I need to put this together, right? So that quote is 
Dude, that's that's a pretty powerful quote. <laughs> mm, yeah. So to shift a little bit from breathwork into your lifestyle, a mm-hmm. journey that I have personally been on since December is that of a nomadic coach. And mm-hmm. I know that this is also a lifestyle that you lead and that you lead quite adeptly with two children, with a wife. Um, tell me about how this life for you and your family has evolved and how that nomadic nature has shifted since you began it. So I have four children. I have two part-time and then two on, like, when the other two have school holidays, they join us for the whole school holidays. Mind you, in Australia, I've come to learn that the school holidays are completely different. We get, like, big four-week chunks throughout the year and then a big summer chunk where I think it's a bit different here in the States. Um, So, yeah, we travel around together as a family and the way that we do that is we're guided by our souls. So we, we speak a lot and connect a lot to our souls, uh, to our guides. Usually in, when we've been in Australia, our guides have been in the representation of birds, specific types of birds uh, to which we, we connect to and, and, you know, create dialogue around decisions that we're making. Um, we also make decisions about where we want to go, where we want to see, what do we want to look at? Like we, we make decisions about, about how we go and get there by exactly that. And then the way that we travel as well is we are living together 24-7. We are, we are a traveling tribe. And even in Australia, you know, our brother Jordan, he was with us for a short while there. Our, our sister Sarah, she was with us. Like we were all living in like my caravan, our trailer was set up as the home for everybody. And so we cooked out of there where we had the toilet and the shower in there. Everything was in there. And what's great about this nomadic lifestyle, specifically as a coach, is it doesn't feel like work. And everybody I meet, I get to not coach, but I get to be inquisitive about the work that I'm doing and that exact person, whoever it is, wherever they are. The other cool thing is that we are learning so much about our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to each other, that being myself and my wife, kids, that I don't imagine would have come in this time or at this speed had we have been in our comfort of being in a house, being in the same place, waking up at the same place every day. Like I don't imagine it would have come in this time or as it has. So the development of us as a family, as humans, has been phenomenal to say the least in, in simply choosing to be nomadic. There's a lot in there that I want to explore. <laughs> the first is you know having being in this more the smaller physically smaller space in what you're telling me i'm hearing that there is a lot of triggering that is forcing you to face your own shit and resolve that in real time in relation to how others are acting as mirrors to you and that is potentiating your growth is that accurate Yes, that is 100% accurate. 
so in in listening to your to your spirit guides who show up as birds in Australia how how do they show up differently now that you are in the US traveling around and how what is your process for communicating with them for having that being be a shared experience with your wife with your children so that it is co-creative in where you go and in how you interact with where you go so before we left um we spent a two-week period of this is my wife wife and i we spent a two-week period of learning how her body was going to be channeled Mm. and the way that 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 happened was two weeks before we left we were we were making a decision a very important and deep decision and we said okay let's let's ask our guides and knowing that there was a potential that we'd either see the birds or we wouldn't there are specific species of birds for for everyone listening and when we did that we saw the birds and in the moment that we saw the birds we witnessed something new for the first time the the thing that we witnessed was that Cassie's body started to tingle and she got goosebumps, full body, head to toe. Chicken skin, I think you call it here in the States, chicken skin. (laughs) And that was like one of the first signals that we witnessed, both from our guides and from the environment. And we asked yes or no. As that two weeks progressed, we slowly stop looking for the birds and looking out for her body. Mm. And then that got quicker. We would like, we'd be having the conversation and start. One of us would ask the question and then her body would go bing or it wouldn't. Right. And so since we've been here, we've grown to be comfortable in asking, being open to receive, connecting. Mind you, we don't stay, we we don't often become disconnected from our guides. We're pretty connected most of the time. We've become comf- comfortable and confident in asking and then going, all right, what does your body say? And now it's starting to like mimic, well, my body is starting to mimic hers now, which is crazy as well because by the time we start having the conversation and one of us goes to ask the question, both of our bodies go ping and we're like, well, I guess that's a yes, you know? And so we, we actually were like, before we left, we're like, oh man, like we're not going to have the cockatoos in the States. What are we going to do? What's powerful in that is also back to Victor E. Frankel's uh, quote, between stimulus and response, we have the power to choose one's response, right? And it's great to be connected to our guides and ask our guides. And it's also important that we know that right here, right now, we have the power to choose our response in, our, in that space. And that's a blessing. And so we have the power of discerning, okay, my experience right now in this lifetime, in this body, this, this go around, this is the decision I'm going to make. Thank you, guys. Thank you, spirits. Thank you for protecting me. Please keep protecting me. But I'm going to make this decision. And so there's a lot of power there too. Mm. It's that intentional energy combined with, the surrender. Mm -hmm. I I have a practice similar to yours of um, I do a Reiki meditation before I go to bed. I connect with the symbols. I connect with great spirit. I connect with mother earth. 
with my spirit guides and with my ancestors and feel this um, surging from my solar plexus up into my throat. And that has been something that day to day in making decisions, I will say, body, show me what a yes feels like. And it's always that. It's always mm -hmm. that surging from the solar plexus, energy up into the throat. And then body, what does a no feel like? I just feel an emptiness down into my sacral and my root chakra. And mm -hmm. I have slowly been working into the, you know, all right, I am making this decision and I feel that energy, that drop into my sacral, my root. And ultimately I have the ability to make that decision even though I know it's not the best for me because my ego or my inner critic or any aspect of my, something that is below my highest self has this desire or has this motivation. And ultimately the universe is a yes machine. That is all unconditional love is that, yes, whatever you want to do is a yes. And <laughs> yes. And either way you will have a lesson in that yes. experience and yes so so that's something that i resonate deeply with what you're saying and with allowing that stimuli that gap between stimulus and response to both expand in our capacity to receive it and also to shrink in our capacity to respond in a way that is conducive for our soul's learning well, it's time travel, man. Like people ask, is time travel real? Hell yeah, it's real. Like when you stop and connect to your mind, body, and spirit and ask what the, what the answer is and you get an answer that you might not want to do and you choose not to do it, well, your actions <laughs> have repercussions, right? And so it's, it, it might be happening now, but it's going to fuck you up previously and down the line, mm. right? So it's time travel right there. and and know that time is expanding and evolving right time is expanding and evolving and as you move through time you also expand with that as well or your potential expands with that as well whether you choose to reach your potential that's up to you that's the gap between stimulus and response but as it expands and your potential expands you do get to choose and so i like to talk, tell people you know um, Matthew McConaughey referred to this in the episode with Aubrey Marcus. I like to give myself a 12 lane highway, right? I know if I go over here a little too far to the left and hit the guardrails, okay, well, we'll need to bring it back a few lanes. Right? I might go over here too far to the right, bring it back in, and then I can find my space in the middle here. So always know that you can ask your soul, and it's important that you connect and it's also healthy to have human desires and have, you know, a thirst to do something a little bit more crazy or a little bit more out there. Because if it's what you're feeling in the moment, that is just as real as how time expands and as your potential expands. It's okay to feel right now and go with that. You know, there's obviously a few areas that you you potentially move away from but everybody's got something different right my wife always says to me don't yuck somebody's yum right now like that might be the thing you want to feel and your soul saying hey man I, I, don't do it don't do it and you do it because that's the urge know that you've got a 12 lane highway and yes there's going to be repercussions 
and also know you're going to get through it. This too shall pass and you're going to get through it. That also resonates for me in feeling judgment for other people's journeys in recognizing, Mm -hmm. you know, that people are at their own stage in their own processing of their awareness that we're describing. And they're all, we're all doing what is working best for us in the moment. And in that can come what Paul Check calls the pain teacher. And Mm -hmm. that can give us a lesson that we, we can choose to listen to or not listen to that can take us from the feather to the brick to the Mack truck of (laughs) lessons. And so in allowing people to have their own experience, because a part of my karma that I've been transmuting into my dharma is a judgment, judgment towards Mm -hmm. others that is reflective of a judgment towards myself. And breath has been a powerful tool in bringing awareness to that judgment. I'm not sure how you are on time. We have 15 more minutes. I would love to get into um, Project Light. Um, And we can go beyond the the next 15 minutes if you have the time. Um, But I would like to discuss your plans to run from one end of Australia to the (laughs) other end of Australia, running a marathon per day. And what led you to this awareness and that this is something that you need to take on as a part of your life's path. Yeah, this is, this is a funny, funny project. I, and it was, the project was actually set. The foundation for the project was set before I even realized that it was set up. Right. And it wasn't until I come to the awareness that it was going to be a thing that I was like, Oh shit, all of that stuff already happened. And I'll contextualize that. When I left the military, I was, um, I went through a series of medical assessments. And um, at the end of the medical assessment, uh, assessment, I was given a report that had all the thing, all my accepted conditions that were diagnosed through all of these assessments. I went through blood scans, bone scans, MRIs, um, brain scans, uh, CTs, you know, I went through countless sessions with psychiatrists, psychologists, went and saw an orthopedic uh, surgeon and specialist. There was heaps of things, right? And there was a long list of things that were accepted and I was diagnosed and they were going to begin treatment for. Uh, now, one of the, the surgeons or the specialists verbatim said to me, I would be surprised if by 35, you're not in a wheelchair. I was like, that's, that's interesting. I'm quite a healthy, fit person. What I was experiencing was I was fucking tired. And in order to avoid being tired and broken, I was telling myself that I was fit and healthy. And on paper, it looked like I had a healthy lifestyle, you know, but I didn't stop long enough for my biology to actually tell my brain, hey, all these things are pretty fucked up in your body. You should probably do something. And it wasn't until I, until I stopped that I went, oh, shit. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling that, right? And at that time, when 
that specialist said to me, I'll be surprised if by 35 you're not in a wheelchair, there was still part of my ego that was very much alive. And that was like, fuck, you're going to tell me that. And like, fuck, that's going to happen. You know, I was a very competitive, egotistical, arrogant person back then. And so I took it with a grain of salt. I went through the process of veteran affairs and what they were going to call treatment. And to me, it wasn't enough. You know, like, and, and I knew that my case wasn't as like impacted as some of the other veterans and first responders that were out there in Australia, in the world, even. I knew mine was quite low level compared to all of them. That being said, it doesn't matter what level you're at. If you have conditions and you are struggling in some way, most people are struggling more than they know. It's important that everybody gets an opportunity to heal, no matter whether you've fucking been to war, seen a car crash, been bullied, you know, had a rough time adapting. It does not matter. If it's there, it's there. It needs healing. You deserve that opportunity. And so when I, when I experienced the lack of treatment plan that was going to be proposed and the lack of financial support because I couldn't perform my original duties because my body was pretty fucked up. Uh, it was like a, it was like a survival mode. My nervous system said, all right, there's only so much we can breathe through the mouth up into the chest and keep you this stimulated for this long. It's time to make a decision. Time to shit or get off the pot. And so my soul led me to my first ayahuasca journey to where I I'd sat with that. And that's a long story, but it led me there. I sat with ayahuasca she opened me up for a beautiful conversation around a fire that didn't exist, but we were sitting around the fire discussing what was present, what my potential is, what the 12-lane highway looked like. I said, okay, I became open, mind you. I'd never experienced anything like this ever before. And so the next day I did the breath work. The breath work, like I come out of that and I'm like, I knew, I know, okay. Second night big, brutal mess with ayahuasca and we had a different type of conversation <laughs> and come out of that the next day and I had a rough idea of what my perf- purpose was going to be and it was going to be resolve my own shit, contextualize how I resolved my own shit, package how I did it and then show the rest of the world and then that the intention then becomes, what is my intention? My intention is to change the current contingency plan for veterans and first responders leaving service life and and transitioning into the civilian world. And some people might think, oh, that's not a real big transition, blah, blah, blah. We sign on for a minimum amount of time in all militaries. You sign on for a minimum amount of time. It's usually four years universally. It's usually four years, sometimes six or eight. The lowest is four years. Four years is a very long time to be told you are this one person and that is your purpose and then leave after four years. That four years is a very long time to be told all that and to learn that. When you leave and you're becoming aware of what you actually are, that is a big fall without a parachute before you know you have a parachute. 
And so that's my intention is to change that contingency plan. It is to let veterans and first responders know you can do this, right? You've got this. The transition's hard, yes, but you can do this. And this is how you can do it. This is how I did it. And this is how I'm living the way that I am living now and able to run, not in a wheelchair, to run across the country because I know and I trust in my purpose, my work. I, I trust in my ability to keep showing up and studying and learning the things, experiencing the things. I don't know. I've been in countless plant ceremonies, plant medicine ceremonies, where my intention has been uh, allow me to be a channel so that I can pass on new information to everybody else. Use my body as a vessel. That comes with a lot. When you, when you relinquish your body, your physical body to be inhabited by anything just to go grab some information for the rest of the world, you're playing with fire and it's also pretty gnarly shit. It's not necessary that I'm going to teach everybody that part, but I trust in my ability to go do those things and know that when I teach the world, veterans and first responders, how you can do it this way, I'm confident that I know that this is what's coming from my heart. This is the most realist science spiritual information that you're going to find right now and it's going to make a big impact now at that time this is the second half of the story at that time i was listening to mike posner and his two albums and it was when he was walking across america and i was just like so hooked on those two albums in that time i was just like wow walking across the country is pretty cool running across the country would be pretty cool i had a big profound meeting with god on a on a cannabis journey come home and i said babe <laughs> i'm running across the country and i'm gonna film a documentary and we're gonna we're gonna tell the world this message and so i knew i knew the byproduct of running across the country it's it's not the actual running part the lessons the teacher has been in the developmental preparation stage for the run because I had to change a lot. I got to change a lot. I got to change the way that I show up for me now. I've got more awareness in detail about how I am preparing my body daily because I know I've got this huge fucking run coming up. I'm not thinking about the huge run. I'm thinking about right now getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning and getting in an ice bath and doing breath work and then being strategic and disciplined about my supplementation and my nutrition, knowing that if I have sugar, it's going to impact me in this way. That's something I'm grateful for. Like that, the teachers and lessons are right there. The fun and the byproducts are going to be the running part. That's going to be the, the marathon each day and just doing it because it's fucking cool to do, right? So yeah, that, that has been a huge part of my own process in, in healing me and also being that vessel to pass on the intelligence that needs to come through me into the world. I'm not biased or egotistical to think that it has to come through me, but like we started this conversation with, it's my responsibility to pass it on if I know it. And so. I feel that that resonance of, especially as coaches, as guides, ourselves as the vessel for this light that we get to bring energetically I left a career in emergency management three months ago, working for the Department of Homeland Security. And one of the things that I saw as I left and was telling people what I was going to be doing in living nomadically, in you know, 
stepping into a career of coaching was this energy of like, oh shit, we get to do that. And giving people, tacitly giving people just through my existence, the permission to question whether the path that they were on was really in resonance with their soul. And I see that that is what you have been doing as well in these very um, masculine archetypal careers, emergency management, emergency medical services, being a warfighter, working in the military, being a soldier, we become very deeply embedded with this identity. During the lapse in appropriations back in 2019, there was a period of six weeks where we all just had to go back and like we weren't getting paid. The federal government wasn't funded. So and even in that short period of time, we came back and had this processing session um, with our leadership. And so many people were like, oh, I didn't know who I was without my job. Mm. And that is the path that is all right who am i outside of this thing that i do for money and is this thing that i do for money in alignment with what my soul is calling me to do is calling me to bring my gifts forward in the world and i had my own plant medicine journey that brought me to that fracturing of consciousness back in 2020 that allowed me to to be like oh fuck it's not an alignment Mm-hmm. And so there, that is something beautiful that I see you bringing about and I'm excited as you begin to, you know, put one foot after the next and see all of the beautiful things that get to show up. Um, Terrence McKenna said, nature loves courage. Mm. You make the commitment and nature will respond to that commitment by removing impossible obstacles. Mm. Dream the impossible dream and the world will not grind you under. It will lift you up. This is the trick. This is what all the teachers and philosophers who really counted, who really touched the alchemical gold. This is what they understood. This is the shamanic dance in the waterfall. This is how the magic is done by hurling yourself into the abyss and discovering it's a feather bed. Yes. Man, here's the, here's the feather bed. This is the mic drop, all right? And this is, this is where I imagine the two of us have gotten to in the last 12 months. When you ask the question, who am I? And go in search of that. The journey is, it's this, it's the experience, it's life. That's, that is the journey. Don't be, don't be underwhelmed. Don't be overwhelmed. Be curious, right? When you get to the point where you identify who you are, a second journey begins. The second journey is who do I want to be? And in the journey of who do I want to be, you get to decide. Mm. And it's that same moment that I know everybody has been in, six, seven years old. You, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, 
playing Ninja Turtles and they say, who do you want to be? Motherfucker, I want to be Leonardo. And in that moment, that moment where somebody says, you can be Leonardo, if I can hold on to that for the rest of my life, man, like there's no other, there's no old, no other golden chalice or grail I'm going to look for. It's that in learning the feelings that come along with picking Leonardo and someone saying, yeah, you can be Leonardo. Fuck yeah. Cool. I'm going to keep showing up because I want to keep becoming Leonardo, right? That's the feather bed. That's the feather bed. That's the mic drop. Like if, if you want to get to that place, ask the question, who am I? Go look for it. Enjoy the fuck out of the journey because it's still going and it's not going to stop. And then decide which Ninja Turtle you want to be. Mm. Yeah. Something that Paul Check talks about is the three choices, the optimal choice, the suboptimal choice, and then indifference. And indifference, we think about hate as the opposite of love. Indifference is that converse, that opposite of love. Because indifference is what's holding us back from the gift, Mm -hmm. from that true potential, from acknowledging the ability for us to receive and perceive in new ways as we step into this more expansive, this freer, more awake identity. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, Will, as, as you make this journey, as you begin, how can people stay up to date with what you're doing so that they are cognizant of each of these lessons that you are receiving along the way? Uh, where can people follow you? Where can people learn more about the documentary? How can people work with you? First point of call would be my Instagram. So at William NJB, NJB. Uh, that is the first point of call. And you can message me in there. You can find in my bio uh, links on uh, resources. So free guided breathwork journeys, um, practices there's an ebook in there you can check in and if you had more questions or wanted to reach out and and call you can book a call in there with me and then we have the link in there for the level one inflow course uh, to book a discovery call if you want to learn about that process if if you want to learn about how you can double down and increase your ability to navigate this journey of the who am i jump in and ask some questions on the discovery call, right? Come and book a call and learn. I'll definitely be posting on the documentary, or at least I'll have a social media person posting for me. Uh, but the other place would be uh, at Project Light Doco, D-O-C-O. And in there, that one will come alive in the next month or two. And you'll start to see some uh, short films and some short edits of the preparation and what we've been doing. Um, what we've been doing behind the scenes with one of our uh, sponsoring organizations. And yeah, you'll see a lot come alive in there in the next month or two. And uh, there'll be some words from our sponsors in there. There'll be some giveaways and yeah, you can get on board and, and really take part in this adventure because as I'm doing it and people are watching the live YouTube series or people waiting out for the documentary, as that process is occurring, I invite everybody to do the same thing in your way, 
right? It doesn't have to be running across a country. It doesn't have to be getting in an ice bath every day. It can simply be, who am I? Who can I help? And how can I start doing it now? Right? And shine your own light. Do that because we've all got special ways to shine our own light. Nate, we're both breathwork facilitators, but we're going to teach it in the way that is our light, right? And so, guys, take your own light, take your own gifts, and and start. Inflow level one for me has been as powerful as any plant medicine journey within the 12 week container that you and Brady Brewer have created in using the power of breath, the power of music to ask that question of who am I and why am I here? So I'm sending you immense gratitude and am excited to receive all of the inspiration that you provide um, as you continue taking this step one foot after the next on your journey. And I love you. Thank you for being here, for being my mentor. Thank you, brother. I love you too. Be well.